0: Oh God, you have conspired this morning from the holy, holy, holy we sang before the service began to the sanctus that our singers brought to us as we invoked your blessing as worship formally began. The music, the praying. We are in the presence of a holy God who rules this universe and yet has hit the pause button everywhere else so that you can be wholly engaged with our minds right here at Andrews University and the Pioneer Memorial Church. God. You have something for us today. It's very clear. Let it be clear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever met anybody who was partly pregnant? Yo, girl, you pregnant? Partly? Which part? Have you ever met anybody who was partly a sinner? Yo, dude, you a sinner? Partly. It's impossible. You can't be partly. You either are or you aren't. I can understand why, as as humans, we have this longing to to, to come, come on, kind of push me into the corner. I'm part sinner instead of full sinner. Who wants to be full sinner when you've got the moral portrait that Scripture paints for us with words like stinky and sick? I want you to write those two texts down. You don't believe that's in the Bible. Get, grab your study guide right now. It's in your worship bulletin. Pull it out. You didn't get a worship bulletin. You didn't get a study guide. We got some great young ushers. Well, sort of young. And <laughs> I was looking at these boys right over here. That's all right. Everybody's young here. This is a college church. So we're, we're, we've, got the, uh, we've got the study guides for you. Hold your hand up. They're coming your way on this uh, Labor Day Sabbath. You can get a study guide. You're watching on, you're watching on the air right now. Let's put, this, let's put the website on your screen so you can see it. Watching on the television. www.newperceptions.tv. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for a new series that be, whose title is this. Hashtag R-X-F-4-N-O-W. That's the title of the series. You have to look at that on a piece of paper to get it straight. But some of you are already using it with your tweeting, and that is how we can track it. And we got people that are monitoring your tweets. All right? So, what you're looking for on that website, by the way, is you're looking for today's teaching, which is Dead Man Walking. If you missed last week, it's possible you did. It's entitled Believe with an exclamation mark. Now, what we shared last week and what we're going to share today may seem a bit disparate, but next week is the key. We pull the two together. And then we keep journeying right into this uh, fall. And so, Dead Man Walking. What's it all about? Come on, let's jot the text down. We just, we just talked about this. Psalm 38, verse 5, New Living Translation. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sins. I told you it's not a very pretty picture. Certainly will one end up, end up in, in the cover of People magazine. I stink because of my sins. How about Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6, also the New Living The God of the universe is giving a moral diagnosis of Israel, and he says to them, you are sick from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts, and infected wounds, without any ointments or bandages, period. Stinky and sick. Not a very attractive portrait, for sure, of the sinner. Martin Luther reminds me what he he described our fallen human nature. Martin Luther this way, very graphic for the times in which he was living, but we'll put him on the screen there, these words. Human nature is like a drunken peasant. Lift him into the saddle on one side and get over on that side, push him back up, back and forth because he's drunk. That's our fallen human nature. And <laughs> You say, well, I beg to differ with you because that's not me. I happen to be an exception. I am different. That's what he thought. The great saint and Apostle Paul. I'm different. In fact, let me, just, let me just give you, he says, a little insight into how I grew up. And by the way, this is a piece of very interesting self-disclosure. Woo-hoo. Jot it down. It's in your study guide. Put it on the screen. Philippians. By the way, he wrote this in, in jail, in prison in Rome, Paul writing, you want to talk? If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, that's human nature, the drunk in the saddle. I have more. Let me just run by my credentials. I was circumcised on the eighth day, Jew of Jew, Hebrew of Hebrew, tribe of Benjamin. He keeps going on. And in regard to the law, a Pharisee As for righteousness based on the law. Write it down. I was faultless. That's what he's saying. Faultless. I kept the Ten Commandments from the day I was born. From top to bottom, I kept them faultlessly, always honored the seventh-day Sabbath, lived a morally pure life, upstanding why I was outstanding. Kind of reminds us of the Pharisee Jesus depicted in his biting parable, the Pharisee who stands up front in worship, and he lifts up his eyes to heaven. Oh, God, I thank you. I am not like that moral wretch on the last row. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Yeah, sounds like some people I know. Paul, the Pharisee, convinced their obedience to the law will get them into God's good graces and his heavenly home someday. But something very dramatic, you'll see this, something very dramatic happens to Paul that forever changes his mind about God's law. Watch this. This is dynamite. You got to go to it in your Bible. Now, here's where we're going to stay Romans chapter 7. Open up your Bible, please, to Romans chapter 7. Provocative testimony. Paul. Romans chapter 7. I'll be in the New International Version. You didn't bring a Bible? Grab that Pew Bible in front of you. You got to track this, you got to see it written in front of your eyes. Romans chapter 7. Pew Bible, page 761. Romans 7. Let's begin in verse 7. Provocative testimony. Here it comes. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? (laughs) Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. What law says you shall not covet? Call it out to me. What law is that? That would be the Ten Commandments, of course. What in the world changed Paul's mind about the law? He just told us that, man, growing up as a young adult, I was faultless before the Ten Commandments. It can't be that the the Tenth Commandment got added. He memorized the Tenth Commandment when he was a kid. It's the last of the Ten. So what has changed? Aha. Paul met somebody. And once he met this somebody, the law could never be the same again. Because. (coughs) Excuse me. Because, you see, in the Sermon on the Mount... Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, the lawgiver, the incarnated lawgiver, who, by the way, with his own finger carved the ten commands into granite himself. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus treats the tenth commandment like we have never seen it treated before. Watch this Matthew chapter 5. In your study guide, verses 21 and 22, and then on to 27 and 28, let's go. Red-letter words in anybody's Bible. You have heard, Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. That would be the sixth commandment, by the way, of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, write that down, anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. And then a few breaths later, Jesus goes on. You have also heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That would be the seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully or a man has already committed adultery with her in his heart, right in that word heart, the tenth commandment, you shall not covet radically shifts our focus from the law of God, our focus on the Ten Commandments. Jot this down. It shifts us from external compliance. Oh, this is huge. It shifts us from external compliance to internal obedience. And that is what Paul is talking about. Paul says, look, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount reveals to us why he, the divine lawgiver, included the Tenth Commandment in the first place. Because the 10th commandment deals with the mind, you shall not covet. In other words, you shall not sin in your mind, you shall not sin in your thoughts. And the moment I realize, Paul is writing, that that's what the 10th commandment is doing, I threw my hands up. I am lost. Why? Because I know my mind, I know my secret thoughts, I know my darling sins. I thought the commandments were about one to nine, you know, external behavior, and then throwing in a covet just to cover everything, not realizing that the Tenth Commandment was inserted so that I could get nailed, proud of my external compliance, nailed regarding my internal obedience. Wow. Nailed, by the way. (laughs) Nailed by the law. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, oh, yo, Dwight, if if, if the law is this dangerous, if it's okay with you, I'm just staying away from those ten. Please do not bring me into those ten. Come on, come on, come on. Why would we do that? That doesn't make any sense when, in fact, the Ten Commandments, the divine law, is a portrait, a transcript of the beautiful lawgiver who God is. Listen to how David sings. David devotes an entire song to The longest chapter in the whole Bible, Psalm 119, he devotes it to the law. He's singing about the law. Jot these down, will you? Run them by you. Verse 97, Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Keep writing. 172, verse 172. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Keep writing. Verse 127. I love your commandments more than gold, more than pure gold. That's why he opens up the psalm with verse 18. Oh, God, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Tell you what, if you were to walk up to David and declare, you know that law of God, those Ten Commandments? Man, what a bummer. What a downer. You know what David would respond? Are you crazy? Don't you understand? The law reveals the God of love who rules this universe. That's why he throws in verse 64. Fill it in. The earth, oh God, is filled with your love. Teach me your decrees. A synonym for laws. A synonym for commandments. Teach them to me. They are filled with your love. The whole universe is. There's nothing defective or bad news about the law of God. In fact, Paul is about to make that very point. Let's read verse 7 again just to get a run into this. Verse 7, what shall we say, then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. Now, go on, verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Now I'm suddenly aware of my thoughts. I'm aware that, oh, I wouldn't want anybody knowing what I'm thinking right now. Sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I never realized the depth of the Tenth Commandment, Paul is telling us. I didn't know. I thought I was faultless. And now I realize everything, like X-ray, is exposed to the God of the universe. Verse 10... I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Because suddenly now I stand guilty before the, do- the-, the bar of justice and judgment in the law. As Jesus put it in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Paul is saying in between the lines. As Jesus taught, even if I think it, I'm nailed. Even if I don't do it, but only think it, I'm nailed. The law, guilty. Guilty, guilty. There's nothing wrong with the law, reader. He tells us, nothing wrong with the law. It's wrong with me. Jot it down, verse 12. So then the law, Paul writes, is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. Pick it up in verse 14 now. Oh, we know that the law is spiritual. Yes, we do. But I am unspiritual. See, I'm the one that's defective. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do, verse 16, what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death?" Wow. You Remember John Bunyan, the Englishman John Bunyan? Remember him, Pilgrim's Progress? The classic? He wrote another book in which he tells, he relates his conversion experience. The title of that book, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And in that book, he describes this, oh wretched man that I am, experience that he went through. I'll put his words on the screen. You can take them home. They're in your study guide. I, John Bunyan writing, I was more loathsome in my own eyes than was a toad. And I thought I was so in God's eyes too sin and corruption. I said, would as naturally bubble out of my heart as water would bubble out of a fountain. I thought now that everyone had a better heart than I had. I could have changed heart with anybody. Yo, let me have your heart. Mine is worse. I promise it's worse. Give me your heart. I thought none but the devil himself could equalize or equal me for inward wickedness and pollution of mind. I fell, therefore, at the sign of my own vileness, deeply into despair." End quote. Oh, wretched man that I am! When John Bunyan, when the Apostle Paul, when you... When I see in the perfect mirror or reflection of the law of God, when we gaze into that reflection, staring unblinkingly back at us, when our consciences are confronted with the total depravity that exists inside of us, it is truly a, oh, wretched woman. It is truly an, oh, wretched man that I am, experience. for anyone. When I met Christ as a 22-year-old here at Andrews University, it was through this same, oh, wretched me, experience that God led me. And you know what? A few years have gone since that day, and I've come in the course of my ministry to men, women, young adults, teenagers, and children. I have come to realize that this dark pathway is one that all must trod, for only a conscience made aware of the perfection of God's law and the holiness of His character and realizing how wretched is the comparison with my guilty heart, only that guilty heart can be driven to truly seek relief from salvation. That was the experience, by the way, of Jacob with his midnight... You remember Jacob and the midnight assailant? That was the experience when Isaiah comes into this glorious worship service. Suddenly the walls... He was talking about inside, in these four walls. The walls fall away, and now he's, he's standing before the throne of Almighty God. Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Holy, holy, they sang as he watched, and he fell to his face. It's what happens to you. It's what happens to you when you realize that it is a guilty heart you bring into the presence of Almighty God. It's what happened to Peter. Slimy, s- silvery fish dancing in the bottom of that fishing skiff, and Peter is down on his face, grabbing Jesus' ankles, and he's saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinner, O God. It's what happens. It will be the experience of all who come to God, at some point, it has to happen, or you haven't looked in the mirror yet. When my professor told us in class, by the way, he told us we needed to ask God to reveal to us our true sinfulness, I wrote it down thinking it might be on a test. Then one dark night, just a few weeks later, I prayed that prayer. Kind of on, on a spur. I mean, no thought. Just, okay, God, show me my true sinfulness. And I now realize what happened when God heard that prayer. He leaned over to Gabriel. He said, hey, Gabriel, you hear that, boy? I'm rolling up my sleeves because we're going to have a field day right now. <laughs> and I was so overcome with personal guilt, I thought I was losing my mind. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Which is Paul's very point. Look at that again, 24. Come on, look at it in your own Bible. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Keep reading. Verse 25. But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Something happens. Something happens to that guilt. When you look into the law and it says, guilty, 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 something happens. When you say, I need help. My God, help me. Thanks be to God. The purpose and point of the law, jot this down, please. The purpose and point of the law is to drive us to the Savior. Yep. That's what it is. Galatians 3, 24. Jot this down. Therefore, the law was our tutor. It was... My translation renders it guardian. The law was our guardian to bring us to Christ. Keep writing. To throw the law out, to get rid of the Ten Commandments, as some are inclined to teach and to do, is to cut your soul off from the very lawgiver who is your only Savior. Don't ever throw the Ten Commandments out. They're to get you to Jesus. It is to, li- to deliver us from this body of death that the lawgiver lovingly gave us the law in our fallen state. So that we might driv- be driven to Him who is our Redeemer and our Friend. Come on, God. God, who loves you with all his heart, mind, body, and soul, and God, who loves his neighbor as himself, God is the embodiment of the Ten Commandments. They are all about Him. Christ's Object Lessons, page 15. Jot it down. His law is a transcript of His own character, and it is the standard of all character. This infinite standard is presented to all, that there may be no mistake in regard to the kind of people whom God would have to compose His kingdom. Now I want you to listen to my new never-met-him friend named Cameron Schofield, a Kiwi. That means he's from New Zealand. A writer. Got a book this summer sent by a physician across the lake, as I told you last week. Title of the book, Heralding the Loud Cry. Cameron who asked this question. Now, these are Cameron's words that go on the screen. You'll see them. So, if you did everything right in your whole entire life, will the law be satisfied? It can't be satisfied because your right-doing... And by the way, as we learned last week, right-doing is the gut-core-level definition of righteousness. It can't be satisfied because your right-doing is not what the law wants. Hit the pause button right there. Last night, as I was reflecting on this teaching, I'm saying, my God, how... how, how is, is there anything else that should be added? So this didn't make it into the study guide, but I want you to jot it down. We put a slide together this morning. I want you to write this verse down, please. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. This is a stunning... This is absolutely stunning. You'll need to take a few little notes in the margin. That's okay. You can do it. Galatians 3, verse 10. I'll read it on the screen as you have it there. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Now, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. Cursed is everyone who does not continue. Does does that look like it's blue on the screen to you? Yeah, it's supposed to stand out. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now, listen, listen. Here's what Paul is saying. If you want to be saved by the law, okay. be my guest. You want the law? You don't need a savior. You can do it yourself. You want to go to the law and be saved? Fine. Here's what you need to do. You need to keep the law continually from the day you were born until the day you die. Okay? You need to keep the law continually and you need to keep the law entirely. Every piece of the law you need to keep. So if you can do it continually and if you can do it entirely, my boy, you do not need a Savior. Welcome home, children. From birth. Uh oh, too late. Too late. Jot these two words down before we go back to to Cameron. Two words. You have to keep it continually. Write in the word continually. And you have to keep it entirely. That's the only way you can satisfy the demands of the law, continually and entirely. If you can't keep it continually and if you cannot keep it entirely, then you're out. You better find another way to heaven, because it won't be through the law, buddy. That's the point. Let's pick Cameron back up. What the law wants, oh, this is good, is God's, this is his emphasis, is God's right doing, God's perfect life. And we in ourselves, do we have to offer it? We don't. Is there any room in you, any room for you in this picture? There isn't. Can you satisfy the law? Can you? You can't. Have you in your life attained unto the very perfection of God? You have not. To do that, you would have to be God yourself. Are you God? You are not God. You are not God then you better find another way, because all that law keeping will never get you to heaven. Now, the law is holy, just, and good. Let's not get all Twitter-baited here. It's holy, just, and good. Cameron goes on. We cannot. We cannot save ourselves. We can do nothing to effect our own salvation, and it's a frightful realization when we meet the law as it really is. We are dead men walking, end quote, Nailed. Paul says, I was doing fine. I was doing fine. One through nine. I had them all faultless, faultless, external external compliance. I got it, external. But then I suddenly realized, thanks to the Lord, what number 10 is saying, internal obedience, and I was nailed. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Dead man walking. By the way, that's a nomenclature of prison talk. Prisons that can perform executions, because when the man is taken out of a cell and he's marched down to the chamber of death, the guards shout out, dead man walking. Sit up. This is the last time you'll see this, boy. Dead man walking. The truth of the gospel is we are all dead men and dead women walking, doomed to our death Deaths unless something, unless someone comes along and puts a stay on the execution. Thanks be to God who delivers us by our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, the only perfect lawgiver, lawkeeper in the history of the human race who from birth To death continually kept the law, kept the entire law. In fact, the great messianic promise of prophecy tucked away in Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Wow. Only one person has perfectly kept what the law demands: perfect compliance, continually, entirely. And because he has anybody. Anybody who comes to God through him gets it, too. Anybody. Cameron asked the question. The question is... (laughs) I like this. Well done, Cameron. The question is, are you bad enough to come to Christ? Because if you don't think that you are too bad, you won't come to Christ you come to church. You will come to church, but you won't come to Christ. You will sit in that pew, Sabbath after Sabbath, but you haven't given your heart to Christ. You are still your own God. You are still taking His name in vain by living practically as an atheist without Him. You can come to church, but that isn't coming to Christ. You must. Dead man walking. Dead woman walking? You must. When I went back to my professor, by the way. Thank you. That's two of us now at least. (laughs) When I went back to my professor, overwhelmed with the guilt, this is this who will deliver me from this body of death. His response to me was, Boy, go read Steps to Christ. And I did. And that's how God saved me. That's how he saved me. I want to end with this. Page 31 from Steps to Christ. You have it in your study guide. If you see your sinfulness, do not wait to make yourself better. How many there are who think they are not good enough to come to Christ? Do you expect to become better through your own efforts? (laughs) There is help for us only in God. We must not wait for stronger persuasions, for better opportunities, or for holier tempers. We can do nothing of ourselves. We must come to Christ. How's it end? Let's read that whole sentence, that last sentence together. We must come to Christ just as we are. Question Are you bad enough to come to Christ? Are you bad enough? Just as you are, just as bad as John Bunyan, just as bad as Paul, just as bad as Jacob, as bad as Isaiah and Peter and Mary Magdalene, are you bad enough to come to Christ? Good news. He is good enough to come to you and save you just like that if you ask him. Oh god. What are we thinking? What are we thinking? That we could somehow by hard work and behavioral strictness work our way straight to the law into heaven? No. We're the opposite, father. Most of us think, it doesn't matter. I don't need a law. I just do it my way. And, oh, God, it doesn't take much to realize we're doomed if we go that pathway. There's only one way. And we hear Jesus calling us now, come to me, the Savior, the Lawgiver, your friend. Come to the Father. Your friend, come, and I will save you. Father, grant that for us today and today and today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.